All right, ladies, welcome. It's that time of the week, Tuesdays, we learn Tehillim. We're going one at a time, we're up to chapter 75. We learn these chapters in memory of the Tzadikit, Mrs. Lily Medeb, alias Shalom, Lily Le'abad Vajjaneh, Ruwa Hashem Tanihana Began Eden Amen, project of Hassan, <coughs> Dr. Rafi, that commissioned me to teach uh, the Tehillim. We don't have a, a quota, we try to do one a week, and whenever we finish, Bezat Hashem, then we'll move on to something else, but we're far from that. We're up to 75. Lam Naseyach Al Tashchet. So this is a song that was again written uh, for the conductor. Eventually these songs are uh, they're composed by David, they're sung in the Beit HaMikdash. And David's request over here is Al Tashchet. Al Tashchet means, uh, please God, don't destroy. Don't destroy who? Obviously, don't destroy us. And then she says, Al Tashchet et Israel. Don't destroy Israel. Mizmor le Asaf Shir. This is a Mizmor of Asaf, and it is a song. And then he uh, goes on to explain that obviously this is talking about the time of the exile with the Rishaim anti-Semites try to lower B'nai Israel and to degrade them and uh, therefore David HaMelech is praying <coughs> that they shouldn't succeed. Hodinu lecha Elohim Hodinu Now Hodinu is from the word Lehodot. Lehodot is from the word Toda. Toda means to give thanks. So the Pasuk is saying Hodinu lecha Elohim We give you thanks. Hodinu, we give you thanks. Now, you're probably thinking, why is it repeated? Why is it written twice? We give you thanks, we give you thanks. So that she right away says, That we thank you not only for the good, but we thank you for the opposite, which seems to be bad. Because ultimately, even the bad has some reason and purpose. So therefore we say to God, Hodinu lecha Elohim, uh, I think that means the, the bad, because Elohim is judgment. So we thank you for the things that we don't understand, the difficulties. And we thank you for the things that are, that are good. Vikarov Shemecha. Okay, and as she says over here, Vikarov Befinu Shemcha Tamid. Your name is on our lips constantly. And therefore the Gemara says, just like you have to praise Hashem for the good, you have to praise Hashem for the bad. Therefore, Karov Befinu Shimcha, your name is always close to our lips, no matter what the situation is. David is confessing that in exile there's going to be difficult times, but through the good times and through the bad times, we always praise you and we give you gratitude, and we know everything is for the best. Sipiru Nifleotecha, and we know how great you are because we heard about your wonders throughout the generations. They have Sipiru, as they have told the story, the Sapir. We've heard the stories from our grandparents and great-grandparents of your wonders that you have done throughout the generations, and therefore we put our uh, trust and faith in you. Okay, that's... Pasuk Gimal. Ki ekah mo'ed, ani misharim eshpot. Now this needs some analysis. Let's read Rashi. <clears throat> Literally means, ki ekah mo'ed, when I take mo'ed. What is mo'ed? Mo'ed means the times. Mo'ed is referring to the holidays. When I take the holidays, where are you taking them? That she says, 
כשיש לנו יום טוב, when we have holidays, מועדים, אין אנו עסוקים בניבול פה וקלות ראש. Let's make something clear. <coughs> when the Goyim have holidays, what are they basically? Uh, drunkenness, that's for sure, they drink, it's a holiday, that's what, that's what holiday means. Uh, they get involved in lewdness, uh, they get involved in, uh, in uh, profanities, uh, that's what the holidays end up. And therefore, compare our holidays, our holidays have Bet Knesset, Limuda Torah, Kiddush, Mitzvot, etc. So, Ki Ikach Mo'ed, when we celebrate Ayamim Tovim, we don't involve ourselves in the way the rest of the world. Anu, Ani, David's talking, but it's us, Misharim Ishpot. What do we get involved in? Things that are Yashar, things that are straight. Anu, Notnim, Elibenu, we put to our Lehalilcha. Every one of our holidays has a Halil. We praise God. So on Pesach, we have a Haggadah Pesach to give God praise. Uh, on the Sukkot and all the other holidays, we read Sefer Torah to commemorate the miracles that took place. With the Goyim, a holiday is just a day off, turns out, turns into a barbecue, turns into drunkenness, turns into all sorts of Averot and, uh, and trouble. So that's the... Uh, so that's what it says over here. Now I want to say a derash on this that I once heard uh, many, many years ago. I recently found it, for those that are interested where it's coming from, from Harabha Gaonabi Shabbetai Rosenthal that explained the following. I heard it from, from my rabbis many years ago. There's a... Uh, there's a law that says you have to learn all day. You gotta learn all day. Now what are you gonna do if you have to go to work? So God says, no, if you have to go to work, you're exempt. You have to make a living, you have to support your wife, you have to support your children. So therefore, the Tachamim gave a uh, dispensation that if you need to go to work, you're allowed to close the book. That allows these businessmen, the Tzaddikim, that they come and learn in the morning. Eventually, they have to catch the train, they have to close the book. You can't say, what are you doing? Bitu Torah. Bitu Torah, I gotta go make a living. That's fine. And God gives them credit as if they're learning even though they're going to work. Why? <clears throat> the rabbi said, because they really want to learn. And God knows their intention is that they want to learn, but they have a legal loophole. And God knows that if they didn't have to work, they would probably be in the bit of the learning. So God does not hold it against them because they have extenuating circumstances. God does not hold the person accountable if it's out of his control. So as if the person is telling God, you know good and well, that if I didn't need to go to work, I'd be sitting in the Bet Midrash all day. The only reason why I have to shut the book is because I have uh, obligations. So God says, you're right. You will not be held accountable. I'll give you credit as if you are learning the whole day. That means you can have a person on Fifth Avenue selling widgets, and in heaven they're counting the clock as if he's studying Torah. But that's not so easy. What do you think, everything's so easy? No, it's not so easy. We're just going to give a guy uh, who's selling stuff a freebie. We are going to judge him what he does on a day off. Now, if you give him a day off, and on the day off he does not need to go to work, and he spends the lion's share of his time learning, then he could say, you see, when I had the time, I learned. But if he has a day off, and he wastes the whole day in frivolity and nonsense, 
So then how can he come along and say, well, I would stay all day along, but I have no choice here. When you had the ability, for example, on the holidays, holidays you don't go to work. What do you do on the holidays? No, I play tennis, I go to swimming in the pool, and I go take a walk, and I eat busy. But you're not, you're not learning. So you cannot use that excuse during the week that I would, if I had more time, I would learn if I want credit, because when you do have time, take Shabbat. Shabbat, you're off. Do you learn on Shabbat? No, I don't learn on Shabbat. I love it. I eat and sleep, and that's it. I wake up after Shabbat, and then we go back to uh, more fun. The point is, the only time that a Kadosh Baruch Hu will reward us for the uh, interruption in our learning is if we are consistent. And the way we show consistency is what we do on the days off. Now let's read the Pasuk in that context. Ki ekah mo'ed. A person says, David's talking, ki ekah mo'ed. When I take the holidays, mo'ed means the yamim tovim, the holidays, ki ekah. When I take them uh, uh, for my uh, learning Torah, like that she says, then ani misharim ishpot. Then I will judge the person favorably. Then I can judge the guy yashar. Because ki ekah mo'ed, I took the days off for God. So since when you took the time off for God, you will not be held accountable when you have no choice but to give up that time. So ki ekah mo'ed, when I take the times of Shabbat and Yamim Tovim, the Talmud Torah, then God says, Ani misharim eshpot. I can judge him favorably. I can judge him straight because he is uh, consistent. I that's a, uh, a beautiful, uh, beautiful explanation. Fine. Now, the Pasuk says, Nemogim eres bechol yoshveha, anochi tikanti amudeha sela. Now, you must have heard all the classes that you go to, that they told you that, uh, and it's true, that uh, before the Torah was given, the world was unstable. The, the Torah was given in the year 2448 from creation. The first 2400 years, the world was unstable, pending if the Jewish people will accept the Torah. And the world knew that, that if the Jews do not accept the Torah, if we said no, for example, the world would just collapse and go back to tohu to, to nothingness. Uh, once we, God came down and said, Anuchi Hashem Elohecha, and our response was, the world became stabilized. Now, this is hinted to in these pesukim over here. Nimogim, uh, Nimogim, you know, Namogu, trembling. Nimogim eres yosheveha. The world and all its inhabitants were... Were shaking. Which day were they shaking? That she says, "Biyom matan Torah." On the day that Torah was given, why were they shaking? Because they knew of the condition. They were nervous. Everybody was looking to see are the Jews going to accept or not. If they accept, the world has another day to live, more existence. But if not, we're in trouble. But then what it says, Anochi tikanti amudeha sela. When Bnei Israel said, we established the amudim. What's the amudim? The pillars. The pillars of what? The pillars of the world. Now, we can say even smarter, what was the first word of the Aser that the Berot? Anochi Hashem So the Pasuk is saying, Anochi. When God said the word Anochi, 
Tikanti Amud. That's when the world became established, and the and that, that doesn't change till today. Uh, the belief that we have is that it is the Torah and the study of it that keeps the world in existence. Now, I know they didn't teach you that in science class. They showed you, uh, you know, some uh, Atlas or Hercules holding the globe on his head, and you said that he's holding the world, or they tell you it's gravity, or it's, you know, they blame it on a lot of things that are not really the main origin of why the world exists. The world exists only because of Talmud Torah, the Zohar Kadosh says that that's why there's time zones, because if everybody would be in the same time zone, then everybody would sleep at the same time, and the odds are there would be a time that Torah would not be studied, and then the world would just collapse. So that's why when we're going to sleep in America, they're waking up in Europe. So there's always somebody that's getting up to go study Torah. It's the main reason why they... Otherwise, why would God create different time zones? Just for what purpose? So we get jet lag? God should just create you know, everything, everything the same. He didn't do that. He did that again. To keep the world always 24-7, somebody will be learning Torah. And there's a story told of the Gaon Mevilna, that one time one of his students walked into the uh, Shi'ud and the Gaon stood up for him, which was shocking that the Gaon would stand up for a student. And when the uh, students asked the Gaon, you know, what, what are you standing up for him? He says, because this boy doesn't realize last night he was the only person in the world at that moment studying Torah for one second, and he held up the whole world for one second. Then somebody else picked it up. Gaon knew exactly. So he says, he has a big zechut. It was his learning for one second. There was a gap. And he filled that gap for the ones. And therefore we have to stand up for him. He's holding, he's holding the world. Okay, now, of course, if, what should I tell you? If, 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 if the people believe this, then the Kolel guys might get a raise. But <laughs> based on their salary, I don't think anybody believes that they're holding up the world. I think they believe that they're just uh, sapping life out of the world. And therefore, they get minimum wage for the for the good job that they do. But you know, it's uh, that's another story. I'm not coming to, to to talk about that. But obviously, the under undervalued and underpaid. That's uh, goes without saying. Pasuk amarti laholelim. Now David's talking. I told the Rishaim that our party holelim are the uh, the party goers, Holelut, they're involved in, uh, you know, uh, their desires and their pleasures. They're guzzling and they're drinking and they're eating. The Holelim, they're involved in this, uh, you know, pleasure behavior. So David Amelik says, Altaholu, <laughs> don't do it. He tries to tell them, listen, even though you're goyim, you're still obligated in the seven mitzvot. You still have certain religious responsibilities. You know, it might not be the same responsibilities that Jews are obligated, but he says, even the Goyim, you have certain responsibilities that are allowed to steal, that are allowed to commit immorality. And the Shaim al Tarimukarin, and to the Shaim who have Ga'ava, David Amalek reminds them, do not raise your, raise your head. Now, obviously, we see over here that this world is not a world of pleasure and fun and enjoyment. And if you want to bring a proof to this, you could point to any single human being that you ever met, and you'll see that their lives are, I don't want to say filled, but have downs. You never met a person that had a perfect life without any upsets. 
because that's not the nature of this world. So those that think that the world is filled with cholilim and parties and so on and so forth, it's not the case. Now I found the Midrash which points this out. That even when things are going very good, a person has to know that <clears throat> it's very temporary in this world. Uh, things can change at any time. But that's not the nature of this world. Pleasure is in the next world. Now, I think what I'm going to tell you now is somewhat neglected. <clears throat> Whenever we talk about the death of the children of Aharon, that's how we refer to it as, the death of the children of Aharon. And we always talk about Aharon and his reaction. And he was silent and he was quiet and he accepted it. But we tend to forget that the children of Aharon had a mother also. And what was, what was his mother? What was, the, what, was, what was the mother saying? I mean, we would think that the mother would take it much worse than, than even the fathers, the mother of, of, of the children. But nobody ever tells us about Mrs. Aharon, what happened when it, uh, her children died uh, on that day. So I found the Midrash in Te'ilim, which is, which is this one. It says that... Um, this pasuk, thank you. This pasuk that's saying about life isn't about uh, pleasures and fun and good things only. The rabbis say this is referring to Elisheva, Bat Aminadav. Who's Elisheva, Bat Aminadav? The wife of Aaron. Aaron's wife is called Elisheva. Shaita biyada arba semachot biyomehad. She enjoyed something that most ladies will not enjoy in their lifetimes. She enjoyed four parties or four successes in one day. Imagine four weddings in one day. What do you mean four weddings in one day? <coughs> she saw her brother-in-law Moshe become the king. On the day that they anointed the Mishkan, so Moshe Rabbeinu was established as the leader of B'nai Israel. Aharon ba'ala Kohen Gadol. Aharon, her husband, became that day Kohen Gadol, the high priest. Nachshon Ahiha Nasi. Nachshon, the brother of Elisheva, that day became the president of the family. Elazar ve'itamar, her two sons, Elazar ve'itamar, became deputy Kohanim. So wherever she turned in her family, they were celebrating. Her brother-in-law, her husband, her children, the Simcha <coughs> was all over. And then her children went in on that day where the Simcha was surrounding her on all sides. And they went in to bring a Qurban. And all of a sudden the fire came out and consumed them. And what happened? That day, all the simcha turned into tzara. But tzaddikim, lo samhu ba'olam azeh. The tzaddikim, they don't have pure joy in this world. And that's what it means, the pasuk, amarti laholelim al taholu. That even the tzaddikim that are enjoying in this world, the Amir Abedek says, al taholu. Don't think that that's something that is permanent and that's something that's going to be. We hope it should last. Uh, so we learn from the Mrs. Aharon, uh, Elisheva, 
that although she had a, an exceptional day, but it reminds us of the ephemeral nature of the Simcha in this world. Simcha is destined for the Tzadikim la'atid lavo. Now obviously she must have accepted it, otherwise uh, we would not have learned uh, this lesson. Now the Pasuk says, Al tarimu lamarom karnechem which literally means, al tarimu, do not be exalted, uh, to lift karnechem, your, your, your horns, which is referring to your arrogance. Kerem represents your sovereignty, your power. Tidabiru besavar atak, and you will talk with savar uh, atak, your neck uh, protruding, as if to say that the Amir is telling the arrogant people in this world uh, not to be so... Uh, not to be so uh, arrogant. Now the next pasuk is an exceptional pasuk. You don't find it. You don't find the pasuk like this in all of Tanakh. And I'm going to tell you uh, the chidush on it. If I would tell you what is the word har mean har. Very good. Har is a mountain. And harim mountains. Very good. And throughout Tanakh. Anytime you see the word harim, it refers to mountains. Except in the following pasuk, we have the exception. Let's read in the, in the pasuk over here. Kilo Now, David HaMelech is talking to rich people now. And he's saying rich people have a tendency to become arrogant. And they become haughty. Well, that's what money does to people. Before they had money, they're simple, they're quiet, they're humble. And the money then all of a sudden makes them brazen and gives them attitude. So, and one of the reasons is because they think, I made the money, you know, I, I did this. Look at my accomplishments. So David has to remind them when he says, Money does not come mimotza. Motza means the east. When you travel to the east, when you travel to the west, People to make money, they travel all over the world. Some people travel to the east, some people travel to the west. So a person comes up and says, yeah, I have a factory in the Far East, so I went to travel in the world. It does not come from those areas. And not from the midbar, from the, from the desert. These are different, again, desolate places that people go travel to make money. Harim. Now this harim over here is not referring to mountains. This is saying harim that you have become elevated. Melashon leharim. Leharim means to be elevated. Your elevation and your uh, 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 level that you have risen, risen, risen to prominence is not because of anything you did. All that beracha comes from Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and therefore do not take it as a as a sign of your own doing, and therefore not to be arrogant. Now, I think we have a good sign over here because I saw an explanation of an example of a rich man that became arrogant. And that rich man is in this week's Perasha. So it is a coincidence. In this week's Perasha, we read about the tribes of God and Reuven. These were two tribes that had a lot of stock, livestock. Sheep, cattle. And they came to Moshe with what looks like a, uh, a humble request. 
that because they have so much livestock and the area on the other side of the Jordan, on the east side of the Jordan, east side of Israel, we call that Transjordan, the other side of Israel, the east side has a lot of pastures, a lot of grass. So they said, if it's okay, we'd like to stay on this side with our uh, livestock. Let them have what to eat. Now, we're not shirking our responsibilities. We'll help you fight. But after the war is over, we want to move back and set ourselves up in this area. Okay. Now, look at the way they approached. It says, The two tribes, God and Reuven, come to Moshe. Now, hold it. Who's older? God or Reuven? He got that right. So Reuven is older. So then why does God come before Reuven? So you can tell me alphabetical. It's not a phone book over here. So therefore the question is again, why did it say God before Reuven? So the Gemara says, because God had more livestock than Reuven, so therefore God had more to lose to go to Israel. So therefore he was the one that was moving the agenda. Because God really had the big concern. Reuven, not as much. So it was like God was the spokesman. So therefore he represented. Says the Kliyakar, but still, where's the respect to your older brother? Again, these type of questions don't resonate with us today because we don't have the protocol that they used to have in the olden days. Today, people talk in front of their parents, people talk in front of their grandparents, people sit when old people are standing. So you can't talk... You can't ask a question on ceremony in our generation, because there's no more ceremony in our generation. Nobody cares about anything. Today, people are brazen to their, uh, to, to anybody. So they will, when you ask a question, how could God speak in front of his older brother? And everybody says, why not? I do that all the time. I mean, what's the problem? Why is that a question? So that's why I said, these questions don't resonate so much with us, but in the olden days, these are strong questions. Like, it can never happen. There's an older brother, God is gonna, and God's very young. God's gonna get up now and, 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 and speak to Moshe when he's older. So they can't understand how. So the Kliyakar, who's the rabbi we're gonna bring now, he says, and don't tell me it's because he had more livestock and therefore he was the one that was pushing the agenda. He says, still, still he shouldn't have done it. So why did he do it? Let's do what he says. Eventually one first. You should know. The commentator said, God had more than the Uven. And that's why the Pasuk says in another place, God had a lot, a lot of cattle. Meaning to say, even more than the Uven. Valken Amru, that's why they said, That's what motivated them to speak first. Because they were more in pain, they had more uh, to lose. That's the way most rabbis learn. But he says, As I say, Just because they had more to lose, that's not an excuse for them to jump ahead of their brother. But you know what did it? Because they had a lot of money. And they were the richest of the tribes. And what happens when you become rich? 
you become haughty and you become arrogant and you don't even care about your older brother. He says that would cause them. It's true when the Gemara says it's because they had more money. But it wasn't that the pain caused them to speak. They weren't speaking out of pain, he says. They were speaking out of arrogance. You know who I am? I'm richer than my older brother, so I don't have to let him speak first. So therefore, That's the way of rich people. They become arrogant, they break all the rules, and they can do whatever they want because they have money. Even the, 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 the simple one, but if he has money, he jumps at the head. And he answers in a, in a fresh way. He has no shame in front of anybody. He doesn't show respect to the firstborn. For that matter, he doesn't show respect to anybody of stature. Why? Because he has money. He thinks that he's more important than anybody because he has a few bucks in his pocket. Sound familiar to this type of thought? And then he says, and I'll prove it that I'm right from chapter 75 in Tehillim. That's why I thought it's such a stunning coincidence that the chapter that we happen to be learning happens to be the main theme of the Kliyakar in this week's parasha. And he says, <clears throat> He says that in the Midrash, this Pasuk, wealth doesn't come from the East, wealth come, doesn't come from the West, it was actually referring to this story here. The, David was referring to Benegar and Bene Uven that had an overemphasis of their wealth. So he says, Pasuk, the person thinks he goes to the east or the Ma'arab and he toils to make business. Now, you were taught, and not from the the Midbar, the, 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 the deserts that have mountains. But we didn't, I thought just not like that. Kol harim mikra. Anytime it says harim in a pasuk, who harim mamash means mountains. Hutz mizeh. Except for this, shulashon romemut. She'en ha'adam mitromem b'nedavarim ha'elu. A person does not become elevated and exalted from these things. And then what happens? Ma'oseh ha'kadosh baruchu. What do you think of baruchu? Hashem wants to teach the arrogant person a lesson. So look at the next pasuk. Ki Elohim, Shofet, God is the judge. Ze Yashpil ve Yarim. What does he end up doing? Ze Yashpil, the person that thinks he's on high, Bore Olam brings him down. And the one that's low, Ze Yarim. It happens every single day. <clears throat> a person uh, uh, becomes a little uh, highfalutin, Bore Olam wants to remind him, you think it, you did any of this over here? Bore Olam in one second, lowers the person that was high, there's a wheel of fortune, and it keeps on turning. And the person that's on top, all of a sudden he finds himself on the bottom because he abused his position. And for the one that was on the bottom, brings him to the top. So David's reminding, remember, that Boreolam very quickly is able to take the ge'im, ma'shpil ge'im says 
from the fact that these Pesukim are referring to Benegar and Bnei Reuven. Obviously somewhere in Hazal, they saw arrogance in Benegar and Bnei Reuven. That's why they're quoting, it doesn't come from this, it doesn't come from you. Where did they see arrogance in Benegar and Bnei Reuven? Yes, we might see that they loved their money, we might see that they had a, an attachment, priorities might have been a little off, but where do you see arrogance, says the rabbi, that the rabbis are using these Pesukim against them? Because you know where to see the arrogance? In Benegad, that they jumped the gun in front of their brother. That shows you that already they lost all of their sense of respect. So he says, Where do you see that they had Romemut? Look what ended up happening. They jumped to speak in front of the Uven de Bechor. And then he says, He says, This Harim over here is referring to Domemut, but then he goes on to say, so we said, what does the word Motza mean in this pasuk? I explained it to mean east. Motza is where the sun comes out. That's why they call it Motza. The sun comes out in the morning from the east and then sets in the west. So for some reason, here it decided to use a language for east, Motza. Now we have an easier word for that. Mizrah. What do you have to complicate me and learn like this over here and tell me, it's Mizrah, but we're going to use the word Motza. So says the Kliyakar. Of course, there's a lesson to be learned over here. One of the ways a person keeps humble, he remembers where he came from. Where does a person come from? Very humble beginnings. The Gemara Mishnah says, It says, you came from a, a very, very humble origin, from a Tipasiruha. Pastor, oh, forgive me, is a putrid seed, a very, very low place. Well, you have arrogance. So therefore, the pasuk is saying, you didn't come from a, you, you didn't a, 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 originate from a hashul place. And when the sun sets, that means at the end of the person's life, where are you going? When the sun sets, everybody ends up in the, in the same place. So there's a remez that the Pasuk used the word motza in order to hint your origin. And the reason why it's referring to Benegar and Bnei Uven, because where did they say their wealth came? They believed that their wealth came from the east side of Israel. So therefore, the Pasuk is telling them, Kilome motza. What do you think? Because you're living on this side, yeah, if you go to Israel, you're not going to have wealth? And therefore, you're, you, you think that because the wealth is here, you have to stay on this side. That's why you use the parable of East-West. That just like God can bring you wealth in the East, He can bring you wealth in the West. That's no excuse to uh, uh, decline the entry into Eretz Yisrael. So that's a, um, a beautiful, uh, beautiful interpretation of, uh, of Kliyakab. Now... <clears throat> I saw another midrash on this pasuk, Zeyashpil Vezeyarim. Zeyashpil, this one he brings down, 
and Vazir, Yarim, this one he brings up. This we see, we see all the time. I saw Midrash actually that says that there's a Midrash that writes, it's a Gemara also in Sota. There's certain things that are clearly min Hashamayim. The Gemara says marriages are min Hashamayim. Everything is min Hashamayim, but marriages are clearly min Hashamayim. And real estate, where a person lives, his house, those are the two areas in life that you see everybody has a story on. How we got married, how we got his house. The Nasib, they called it. It's, uh, he was supposed to get it, then it fell through, then it came back. Uh, you see more in these examples. So I saw from a Sefer Hasidim, he says that what's the connection between the two? And he says that sometimes you'll have a person who <clears throat> does not have a house. And because he doesn't have a house, his children are having a hard time getting married. Because the other side says, ah, they don't have a house. Therefore, they say, well, we want to have a, a daughter wants to get married, but they, they don't have a house. So therefore, what does that Kadosh Baruch Hu do? He takes the person that was low, the reason why he elevates the person is not necessarily for the person to have a house. It's in order for him to marry off his children. So therefore, there's many, many calculations that a, a person has, that sometimes, is not because God wants him to have this for himself, but it's in order to benefit his children. But I saw that the Midrash says like this. There were two times in history that we see the word zeh, zeh. One time it was when the Jewish people were at a low, and one time it was when the Jewish people were at a high. You remember before the Jewish people worshipped the golden calf? What did they say? They didn't know where Moshe was. They panicked. So they wanted to replace Moshe. So they said, Moshe ha'ish. This Moshe, lo We don't know where he is. That's Zeyashpil. That was the Zeh that was said at the lowest point in history. Where we said, Moshe ha'ish. Lo Then we did the Eger. And then what did God do? Moshe had to go for 40 days and 40 nights. And then 40 days again. And then 40 nights. Until he came down on Kippur. And he told the people, God has forgiven you. And then the next day, what did God say? Start collecting money to build a Mishkan, and the Mishkan is going to be a kapara fechet ha'egel. Instead of using your money to build a golden calf to rebel against me, use your gold and silver to build a sanctuary in order to serve me. And what was the language when God said to the people to collect? Zeyitinu. Ah, zeh, again, that was zeyarim. Zeyashpil is the Zeh that we use when we fell down into the Chaita Egev. Ki Zeyayish Moshe lo yadanu me'ayalo. Ve'zeyitinu, now go give tzedakah to the building of the Mishkan, Zeyashpil, that was referring to when we elevated ourselves from the sin. So you see the Pasuk has a different variation. I did see also from Rabbi Nachman from Breslam, he learns the Pasuk a little differently. He says that if a person wants to uh, protect himself, somebody's on high. So you want to protect yourself from falling. So of course don't be arrogant. That's for sure. An arrogant person, Bodhi Olam, cannot tolerate him. And therefore, the person that thinks 
that he is the reason for his success, but Olam reminds him very quickly. But Rabbi Nachman said like this, if a person wants to avoid a downfall, when he's in a good place, he's enjoying success, he's enjoying beracha, so he says something to the effect like this. <clears throat> when a person gives sedakah, what is he doing in effect? He's lowering himself because when you give tzedakah, you're, you're lowering your status. If a person had $1,000, now we gave $100 of tzedakah, so he went from being $1,000 to 900 So what did he do to himself? He lowered himself. And by giving the $100 to the Ani, what did he do? He raised them. So Zeyashpil Vezeyarim is actually the exercise of tzedakah. So when God sees that you're willing to lower yourself in order to elevate somebody else, Bari Olam says, I will not lower you with them. There's no reason to lower you. You lowered yourself. That means basically lower yourself before God has to lower, lower, lower the person against his will. <clears throat> so you say, how can I lower myself? Give sadaqah. Or when a person lends himself to do a chesed to somebody else. So he's lowering himself in order to lift somebody else. When a person goes to Bikur Hodim, what is Bikur Hodim? He's lowering himself to serve in order to pick up somebody else. So God says, aha, he's lowering himself in order to lift up the other guy. I don't have to lower him. He lowered himself already. He lowered himself. He, he, went, he went through the process himself. It's such a big segula over here. The people that are not willing to lower themselves for the benefit of somebody else, then Bariya Olam says, then I'm going to have to do it. And when Bariya Olam lowers the person, then Hazbun Shalom, it's not good. So Bariya Olam says, wait, he beat me to it. He lowered himself. When did he lower himself? He gave Sadaqah, he did Chesed, or he uh, 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 did something out of his, resp- out of his uh, uh, comfort level to benefit somebody else. Zayashpil. And therefore, Bodhi Alam says, no need to do it. It was done by the person himself. Now we continue. Pasuk says over here, oh yes, that's that's the yes, 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 Kostara means it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a figurative course, a cup, uh, a receptacle that has in it poisonous wine. And what does God do with this poisonous wine? He's going to pour it. Uh, it has filled to the top with the, with the foam on top, and it's going to be poured. It's going to pour it on the guim that persecuted the Jewish people. And even to the dregs that are on the bottom of the barrel of the wine, they're going to drink it, meaning it's a poisonous wine, and they're going to get their punishment. All the Sha'im of the Aris. But Tabir Amir says, regarding me, I will sing your praises for this revenge forever. And I will sing to the God of Yaakov. Here's the last pasuk, which is another classic. Let's learn this pasuk. 
Karne Rishayim means the horns of the Rishayim. That means the arrogance of the Rishayim. What does God say? Agadeya. I will, I will cut. I will uproot. Karne Rishayim. And as a result, when the Rishayim are cut down, who gets elevated? Teromamna Karnot Tzadik. The Tzadik, who is low, is going to be lifted. Let's read Rashi. V'chol Karne Rishayim. Watch the Shaima we're talking about. Shil Amalek. Oh. <clears throat> God's predicting that there's going to come a time when this Amalek is going to be destroyed. Agadeya. Like it says, Venatati et nikmati be'edom. Edom is the exile that we're in now. Be'az teromamna kanot sadikos shil olam, which is Yisrael, which is the child and the praise of God. <clears throat> that is a big big hidush uh, that was said by one of the rabbis. Whenever we talk about the destruction of Amalek, at the same time, there's always a follow-up of the building of Batek Nesiyot and Batek Midrash. I just said something big. <clears throat> this was said by Rabbi Tzadik Kohen. In history, you'll see the downfall of Amalek. With that, when they go down, you start to see Batek Nesiyot and Batek Midrashot flourish. They learn it from a pasuk in the Torah that says that when Mashiach comes, we're going to destroy Amalek and then build the Beit HaMikdash. So you see, Beit HaMikdash cannot come until Amalek is destroyed. And then he goes on to say that anytime you see a Beit Knesset being built, you must know that there must have been a presence of Amalek in that place. And therefore it was uprooted somehow. And therefore the Batek Knesset ended up in that, in that place over there. And that's why uh, sometimes it's very difficult to build Batek Knesset. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about. That's one thing I know what I'm talking about. Maybe anything else, take it with a grain of salt. I can tell you my building shoes is not an easy thing. And, but what's the explanation? So they'll say, because of construction, because of variances, because of uh, 9-11, they'll make up a million and one, that's nothing to do with anything. Because they built Yankee Stadium in one year, by the way, with all that. Yankee Stadium, they built, oh, one year they built it. Why is it taking us 10 years to put the bed? They said, money, we, assuming we had the money, assuming everything's the same. Why? Because when you build the Yankee Stadium, uh, Amalek doesn't care about that building. He helps that building, he doesn't care about it. But... No offense to the Yankees, because I'm not, uh, not getting it on that. But my point is, when it comes to the Beit Knesset, you're fighting spiritual uh, uh, um, uh, uh, resistances that are there. So it's the powers of... Amalek is not only a person. Amalek is forces. There's negative forces that are called Amalek, and they're in the world. So what do you think? You're coming to build a Beit Knesset on a certain location. That means Amalek needs to be subjected first. Therefore, there's a pushback, and there's a... But you have to just keep on going forward until you finally break it. And that's what he says, <clears throat> that's what he says, uh, I don't think you ladies learn Gemara too much, nor do I recommend it, but if you ever learned Gemara Megillah, Gemara Megillah is the Gemara that talks about Megillah Tester. The first three chapters is all talking about Megillah Tester. And what's the main theme of Megillat Esther? How we ended up bringing down Haman and Amalek. 
grandchildren of Amalek. That's the first three chapters. What does the fourth chapter of Masichet Megillah talk about? The laws of Beta Knesset. Says Rabbi Tzedekah Kohen, Beta Knesset in the laws of Megillah? Yes, because once already we read about the destruction of Haman and Amalek, now we can talk about Beta Knesset and Beta Medrasot. You see, even in the structure of the Talmud, these two things go together. And we see it in history. And Hitler, we talked about this, his first move before he destroyed the Jews in 1941, 42, 43, what's the first thing he did on Kristallnacht? Besides breaking glass, which we said is nothing. Breaking glass is not, a, not, a, not, not such a big tragedy. He burnt a thousand synagogues. That's the Kilipab Amalek. First he breaks the synagogues, first he destroys the Batekinesiot. After he destroys the Batekinesiot, now he was able to kill the Jewish people. But look at the opposite. And once the war was over, and once we were able to bring down uh, Amalek, all those Batekinesiot and and, and, and Batimid Rashot were relocated in Israel, they were re- re- rebuilt again. So you see, when, when Amalek goes down, B'nai Israel's spirituality goes up. When somebody uh, came to me, when we made our grand uh, groundbreaking for the synagogue in Brooklyn. So, you know, uh, some people are happy for you and some people are less happy. So somebody came to me and said, what are you building such a, such a big synagogue for? I didn't ask you for money. What do you want from me? Did I ask you for a dollar? You don't pray with us. What, what, do, you, what do you care? Leave us alone. You, did I, when you built your big house, did I tell you why you built such a big house? I, I didn't tell you. Live and let live. Why, why, why are you coming attacking me? Because I'm, it's not my house. I'm not living. It's for God. It's for God's house. Yeah, but what do you need it for? So I said, I want to explain to you. On that night of Kristallnacht, Hitler burned a thousand synagogues. I'm building the biggest synagogue to take revenge against Adolf Hitler. And I'm building a synagogue that's worth two synagogues in order to, to show it to them. He said, oh, okay, yeah, that's an answer. But that's, that's, a, that's another story. Point is, the pasuk over here is hinting this to us. Because if you look at the pasuk, karner Anybody know what the word keren means? Horn, okay, which is arrogance, because the horn is on top of the animal's head. You know what else kidin means? If I have a square, azakabado, corner. If I have a square, and I say kidin, the kidin is the corner. Kidin zavit. Kidin in Hebrew is a corner. Very good. So the pasuk says, karnet rishaim, the corners of the rishaim. Now, if you have a word, you know what the corners of the word are? The first letter and the last letter. Those are the corners of the word. So if you take the word Rishaim, what would be the Karne Rishaim, the corners of the word Rishaim, the Rish and the Mem? Very good. Now, I know to you, Rish and Mem doesn't mean so much. However, Rish is 200 and Mem is 40. Resh Mem is 240, which is the exact numerical value of Amalek. Amalek also equals to 40. So the Pasuk is hinting to us, Vechol Karner Resha'im, referring to a specific enemy. The corners of the word Resha'im, which is this, and that's why that she says, Shil Amalek. How do you know Amalek? Maybe he's talking about uh, Moab. Because he saw Karner Resha'im. Now I'll tell you something else. 
if you, this is from the Hatam Sufir. And then, the Hatam Sufir says from the Zohar that when Mashiach comes, the, the time of Mashiach's arrival or emergence is called Ketz Mashiach. You know what Ketz means? The end. You know, they say the end of time. Uh, the end of time is coming. They scare you. That's called Ketz. Ketz is the end. And the end of time is coming. The Ketz is when you're, when you're, when you're running the, the 24 mile, or what is it, 26 mile marathon, you can't see the finish line from the Verrazano Bridge. But once you get it ready to the fifth borough, then you're able to see the, the, the end line. 2,000 years ago, we weren't able to see the finish line. But now, the finish line is in, uh, is in eye shot. For sure, you can see the, the finish line. The kids, it's called kids. And the name of God that's going to be manifest at the end of time, when Mashiach comes, is the Shin that's on the Mizuzah. Shin, Dalid, and Yud. You know that name? You ever heard that name? Shin, Dalid, and Yud. It's a very, very, very special name. But what does that name represent? Sha'amar the Olamo Dai. But the Olam says, okay, enough. The world's coming to an end. Die. So the name Shin, Dalid, and Yud is also similar to the word Ketz. Because Ketz also means the end. So Hatam Sofer writes, at the end, there's going to be the manifestation of what he calls Ketz Shaddai. The, the end that's going to be brought by the holy name that's why probably we have the name on the mezuzah in order to activate that holy name, which is a, a name of, uh, of redemption. So he says, how's it going to work? Listen to say something so, so stunning. I have a copy of it over here from Hatam Sofer. He says like this. The good guy is called the tzaddik. That's us. Us. And the bad guy is called what? Rasha. That's them. Amalek. Let's take the corners. The Pasuk says, Vichol Karne Rishain. The corners of the Rasha Agadeya. What does Agadeya mean? I will uproot. Get rid of them. So if he says, You take the word Rasha, take the Rish, that's the first letter. And take the ayin, rasha, which is the ra. Get rid of the ra. That is no more ra. Agadeya. Once I get rid of the ra of rasha, no more Karne rasha agadeya. I will uproot the corners of the word rasha. Now, which letter am I left with? Shin. I got to do something with it. I got to do something with it. So the pasuk says, teromamna karnot sadik. Now let's take the Keren of the Tzaddik. Just like we did the Keren of the Rasha. Let's take the Keren of the... Now it says, when it comes to the Keren of the Tzaddik, the corners of the Tzaddik, that we're not going to destroy, that we're actually going to, to lift. What's the first letter of Tzaddik? Tzaddik. Very good. And what's the last letter of Tzaddik? Kuf. Ah, what does that spell? Ketz. Ah, when we're going to uproot... The corners of the Rasha, at the same time, we're going to lift up the corners of the Tzaddik. You have kids. Now, ladies, pay attention closely. Now, 
when I have the tzaddi, I'm tzaddik. I took the tzaddi and I took the kuf. What letters am I left with in tzaddik? A dalit and a yud. Take the sheen from rasha, add it to the dalit and the yud of tzaddik, and now what do you have? The name Shaddai. And therefore you're ending up with what? Ket Shaddai, which is a representing of the emergence of the Mashiach. I will say it again very quickly. <clears throat> take the Rasha and cut his Karanot off. Take the Ra out. Once you take the Ra out of the Rasha, there's no more Rasha, I got rid of the Ra. What am I left with? Sheen. Take the Karanot of the Tzadik and lift it. That's Kuf and Tzadik, that's Ketz. Ketz is the end. But you have more letters in Sadiq. What letters do you have in Sadiq? Dalad and the Yud. And the sheen of the Rashad I still have in the bank. Put them together. I have Shaddai. Ket Shaddai. Which is a represent. So this Pasuk over here, they sing this Pasuk uh, a lot uh, in the yeshivas uh, uh, whenever there's a, uh, uh, a big miracle that God does for us when the Rishayim start to fall. So we say, which is a, a prayer that these uh, uh, systems should fall into place, that the Rishayim should be subjugated, Amalek should be subjugated. So every time we build a Bet Midrash, and every time we build Batek and Esiyod, that's a good sign. That is already an indication that Amalek has become weaker and has become uh, 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 compromised. Uh, and the more... So somebody says, we don't have enough. No, you, you cannot have as long, as long as the powers of evil in the world, that means obviously we didn't finish our, finish our, our tikkun. So it is our prayer that, listen, you couldn't have read these chapters at a better time. The two lessons that I take away from this chapter, the haughtiness of those that think their success belongs to them. Bari Olam is able to teach them a lesson very quickly. Zeyashpil. He lowers the person, and he lifts somebody else up. And the lesson that we learned is, do it before God does. Lower yourself to elevate somebody else before Hashem. And then the last lesson is, the importance of the construction and the building of Batek Nesiot and the Batek Midrash, which work hand in hand with Amalek's rise or fall. And then the prayer of David, the body Olam should cut the arrogance and the corners of the Rasha, and ultimately Terumamna Kanot Sadiq, and then we'll have the redemption to the Shemot of Ketz Shaddai, and the Rabbi Amenu Amen. Okay.